Perfect. They can also email us if they would like at podcast. No, at Gmail no, no. at at blah blah blah. <laughs> I'm going to change it. No, you're not. Yeah, okay, absolutely. No, you're yep. not. Don't. Yeah, I am you haven't got it right in a year and a half. Shut up. <laughs>
in interfacing with the OS itself. Um, one of the really cool features that I was reading about with this software, though, is uh, what what they're calling shape writing, which um, it's a predictive typing, and basically it it builds um, it builds words based on the first and the last letter, so you can you can look at the first letter and the last letter, and then apparently just sort of skim your eyes over the other letters, and it will build the word. Huh. Yeah. I don't know how exactly how that would work in practice, but it sounds uh, interesting in terms of predictive stuff. So, I mean, it sounds like they're, they're trying to innovate. and uh, have and to I mean start the somewhere, right? And so. the fact that, you know, they're, they're building this right into the operating system. Such a very, <laughs> it, I mean, this is really niche accessibility software. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think this is a great move. It's, it'll be really interesting to see um, what kind of reception it gets once they roll it out in October. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on it. So joining us today is Wade Wingler. He is the Vice President of Technology and Information Services and a Security Officer at the Easter Seals Crossroad in Indianapolis. He's worked as an Assistive Technology Instructor, and he also hosts a very popular podcast, called the assistive technology update hey wade how are you i'm doing well how are you i'm well thank you well thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it sure happy to be here i'm (laughs) tired if i fall asleep if you hear snoring just yell (laughs) (laughs) well perfect we have to say that uh we're big fans of your podcast um you know when when we sat around and started thinking about coming up with a podcast of our own, uh, yours was one of the ones first, you know, that that came up as when we did a search for assistive technology podcasts. So uh, you're doing a fantastic job with it. Well, I'm flattered. Thank you. It's yeah. you know, it's one of my passion projects. I really get a kick out of doing it. So um, after six years, I I do it all the time, and I love it. Six years. Wow. Yeah, you yeah, might, I haven't you... missed an episode in six years. What kind of pressure is that? Right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I think we're doing okay. We haven't. I think we missed one week. Yeah. In a year, so. That's great. Well, listen. Uh, let's uh, let's dive right right back into the origins and uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the assistive technology field in the first place. Well, yeah, that's a good question because there there are kind of two answers to that. One. Um, I did it on accident when I was a little boy, and then I kind of got a professional job in the field later. But when I was a little boy, uh, my mom and dad's best friends had two sons, and, and so they were sort of like closer to brothers than than my mom and dad's best friend's kids, and we all grew up together. And one of those guys is named Andy, and he has a number of disabilities. He's on the autism spectrum. He has cerebral palsy, um, otherwise known as we just knew him as Andy at that point. I did. I knew he was different than the rest of us, but I didn't really know any more than he was just Andy. And one year for Christmas, back in well, many many years ago, this would have been back in the the early to mid seventies, um, we got Radio Shack walkie talkies for Christmas, mm-hmm. and I got a big kick out of the fact that I would hand Andy one of those walkie-talkies, go in the different, into a different room, and when I would talk to him on those walkie-talkies, he would light up 
in a way that was different. So Andy's not the kind of guy who talks or doesn't talk a whole lot. When he does, it's very focused on particular subjects. But when we talked through those walkie-talkies as kids, Andy would really behave differently, and he was very, very engaged. So I thought, at least at the age of maybe six or eight years old, that I had invented the field of assistive technology. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that I, I just became aware of, of, a, of a unique interaction between that particular guy with a disability and, and technology. Um, and so that memory sort of hung with me for a lot of time until I got out of college and was going to go to grad school and become a pediatric social worker, but didn't get into grad school, quite frankly, and um, had been writing computer software since I was about eight or nine years old and wanted to be a social worker. And I found an ad in the paper back when people actually use newspapers to get jobs. And it said, teach people who are blind. And back then it said, teach blind people about computers. Um, and I said, well, that's interesting. Maybe I will do that for a year or so until I finally get into grad school and figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> and that job was here at Easter Seals Crossroads in 1993. Um, and, I, and I took a job teaching people who are blind or visually impaired how to do screen readers. It was IBM screen reader back at the time. So fast forward, gosh, <laughs> going on 25 years. Um, I guess that's what I was supposed to do. That's what I've been doing ever since. Wow. And sorry, what was the, what was the name of the actual screen reader that you were using? It was called the IBM Screen Reader. It ran on a microchannel PS2 computer system running DOS 3, and it had a, a separate keypad. So it had like an extra numeric keypad, um, and that was what you used to control. It had a special card and a special keypad in the computer to, to read DOS. I remember it well. Yeah, see, I, <laughs> as you were saying that, I saw Steve's eyes light up and yep. the nostalgia flooding in. Yeah, and then, then I started thinking about OS 2. Did you, yeah. did, did yes. you ever deal with that one too? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, what's funny right across from my studio here at the, in the building, I have a little museum cabinet I have several of them actually of assistive technology devices. And I have that, I have that very IBM screen reader keypad as well as my Opticon, um, in that, nice. in that cabinet over there. So for folks who have been in this business for a while, those are some oldies, but goodies. Yeah. Absolutely. I used to fix the Opticons. I think mine still works. I haven't turned it on in a long time. <laughs> yeah, did a lot of a lot of replacements of those cables because they were fragile. Yeah, early fiber optic stuff, right? Uh, no, it was actually uh, it was actually copper uh, copper wire. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. So it must just blow your mind to think back to that, and then you know, fast forward to now, and and look at some of the equipment and software that's that's here now like do you ever just marvel at the last 25 years oh yeah absolutely i mean mainstream technology has, has you know obviously skyrocketed and then assistive technology in many ways right along with it you know one of the things i think about is some of the early optical character tech technology right the ocr stuff like the early kurzweil devices and things like that and and how now that's an an app on your phone that that you know you can get fairly inexpensively or i also think about for a while when the the kurzweil reader was a a cell phone and a and a camera strapped together i guess a, i guess it was a, a pack an ipad strapped yeah, to yeah, a digital PDA, camera yeah. to do those kind of things oh yeah it's it, the, the technology change is dramatic and this is a common question that we'll ask people that that have been in the industry for as long as you have is what do you what was what are some of the landmark things that you can sort of point to that really propelled the technology forward well you know i 
kind of tend to look at mainstream technology as those shared landmarks. I mean, clearly the personal computer um, was was probably the first one that, that really made a big difference because it was so flexible and became more of a consumer product. That was the first platform that I saw where assistive technology really landed and, and dug in and, and did good stuff. But then you think about the mobile devices, you think about iOS, you think about the iPhone, and that one to me rises to the top as the platform that made the biggest difference in the world of assistive technology. And the fact that accessibility has been built into iOS from its early days um, is, is the big change. So I guess there's a technology change there that starts in the mainstream that trickles over into assistive technology. But I think both of those industry changes also marked sort of a business model change and a philosophical mm -hmm. change where um, a small market like um, assistive technology finally found a foothold into a, a place where it could be more affordable and you could have, you know, developers and support and things like that to go along with it. And I mean, I think to add on to that, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that companies have finally realized that um, there's a there's a demographic out there that that wants to participate in you know, consumerism and they, they want to buy stuff and they want to be involved in conversations and that, you know, companies can sell to say the blindness community if they, if their websites are accessible or if they have product that, that is accessible. And so do you, do you think that, that there's, there's a little bit of that, that there's a little bit of, of corporations and companies that, that realize like, Hey, you know what, there's, there's an added revenue stream here. If we bake in some, uh, you know, assistive technology or accessibility. Yeah, I know that there is. But, you know, I kind of have a, a, a interesting, I guess, interesting perspective on that, because 10 and 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I was saying to, to people that I knew, hey, guys, baby boomers, baby boomers are, you know, there's going to be a ton right, of baby right. boomers and there's going to be age related vision and age related hearing and memory loss and all the things that go along with that. And so I thought we all need to hang our hats on age related disabilities because of these baby boomers. And you know, I see that, and 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 that's clearly you know a reality of our world that we do have people who are aging and, and dealing with the things that go along with that. But I'm also seeing it in schools, and I'm also seeing a whole lot more in terms of dyslexia and ADHD and those learning disabilities. And I'm kind of seeing um, accessibility come become more mainstream in more places than I expected. It's not just the baby boomers, and and I don't know if that's unique to my perspective and my experience, or whether the world is just sort of waking up a little bit more. It seems to be, you know, the old adage about a rising tide raises all ships. It seems to be kind of everywhere. And I don't know if you guys have a similar perspective, but man, I thought it's all about the baby boomers, and and I don't think it was. Well, I know that, I mean, certainly, you know, at, at the assistive technology company that, that we were involved in, that was certainly a conversation. Baby boomers came up a lot, yep. right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, but, but I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, I think these days um, it's, it's pretty amazing. It is bleeding into almost every um, aspect. And I think from my perspective anyways, I think social media has a lot to do with it. Um, and social media and correspondingly the the online communities that uh, that have a voice now and I think that inclusion is, is much has much more traction these days than it used to even even 10 years ago well it's much more easy to to organize for advocacy now too right because of that social media and email all of these electrical electronic interactions 
um, you know, it's, if if somebody's really interested in lobbying a company, um, they can get people together to do that really easily. And I mean, you know, it, that's that's just a business adage that the louder the uh, the louder the voice is, the more companies will pay attention. Yeah, and, and you know, and I, as you as you guys talk about that, it makes me think social media and, and just the the pervasiveness of information. Because guys, I don't know how to be a plumber and I don't know how to be an electrician, but we recently bought a house and had to do some of those things. And within ten minutes, I'm on YouTube figuring out <laughs> how to do things that I never thought I could do before. And, and, you know, that, that obviously trickles into the world of assistive technology. The sheer volume and availability of content out there allows people who have niche interests to, to have a platform and create that kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, I think that that's a big, important part as well. And as podcasters, I guess we should be acutely aware of that, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, great, the other great part about it, too, is that, you know, you have these communities that are, are sharing information and sharing you know, tech support, even, you know, somebody can post in a Facebook group, look, I'm having, I'm having trouble with my Braille display, I can't make it do this, and they can post in it. And within minutes, they have other users that are responding to them and helping them through that. And I think that that's an incredibly powerful thing as well, because it used to be where, you know, if, if someone was having trouble with their Braille display, you know, maybe they could call the, a, you know, a, a tech support of the manufacturer, but most oftenly not. They, they were just out of luck. Yeah, I remember the days when part of your screen reader decision was what are your friends using and what do the people in your school <laughs> use because you were going to need help and you needed to find people who knew it. And now you, you, you're just a few clicks away from, from finding community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So say over the past few years, what assistive technology has really got you excited? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm pretty infatuated with some of the stuff that's happening in the area of the do-it-yourself home automation. Um, we've been playing around with environmental control units for years and years and years. And, you know, in the past, that kind of stuff meant you're hiring a contractor to install things. And you had to have a, a server sitting in the closet down the hallway to be able to to do things like home automation and open the blinds and, you know, control your home theater system with voice or switch or those kind of things. And when I look at the, the combination of things like those personal assistants like Amazon Echo and right. um, the Google technology, and you combine that with smart appliances and a plugs and, and some of those Internet-based services like if, if this, then that, to, to do some of that home automation, it's amazing how in, in, an, in a weekend and a few hundred dollars, I can do some pretty solid home automation that 10 or 15 years ago would have required you know one of the 10 contractors in the country who really knew that stuff very well and tens of thousands of dollars and would end up with interfaces that weren't incredibly reliable and was you know like having an episode of Star Trek happening right in your house and right. now um, that technology is something that I use in my house every day, all day to turn things off and turn things on and, and access entertainment and news and information and remind myself and uh, to do things. So I'm pretty excited about what's happening in, in that space. What about even like we were just talking about this earlier before you came on? Um, the fact that, you know, in the next uh, Microsoft update, uh, they have built in eye gaze software right in the in the OS. 
it's amazing. It's amazing to see how much of that built-in um, accessibility technology is is showing up. And you know, assistive technology. It's not new that our our industry has robbed from other industries to 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 create assistive technology. You know, I've spent a lot of time monkeying around with wheelchairs and switch setups and some of those customized mounting systems, and that part of our business always robbed from the the camera industry right people who can mount 35 millimeter cameras in such a way that they can take really cool nature pictures create technology that can really position things well with a wheelchair so um i i think that we're starting to see those mainstream technologies more and more have a commercial application that also works in the world of assistive technology is amazing i mean eye gaze really caught caught um, steam when marketing companies decided they wanted to see where eyes were looking on the screen to see which ads were doing the best. And that's when you got some some money behind it and some market forces behind it. And that's done nothing but benefit people with disabilities who have ALS or, or those kind of things and rely on eye gaze technology. Yeah, it really is fascinating when you when you sort of look at it, at how many things have actually crossed over. Like the fact that, you know, text messaging in and of itself was was something that was developed, you know, for, for deaf people. Well, yeah. And if you think about voice input systems like Dragon Naturally Speaking or, or now Siri, that was it was developed um, originally for people with disabilities, but it caught steam when attorneys and physicians wanted to use it to dictate their, their notes. And then VoiceRec got even better with the advent of things like Siri that became, as it became a more mainstream product. So I think there's some back and forth there. What what do you get the sense of the trend in assistive technology? Like, is is mainstream technology are they really sort of latching on to the idea that assistive technology has gone from something that's that was like just a niche add on to the fact that they're realizing that assistive technology can really benefit everybody and not just people with disabilities? That there's there are mainstream applications to all of it. You know, I, I think there are a number of of things kind of at play there. Um, I interview a lot of people who are developing assistive technology and they don't have a background in, in the world of assistive technology or even a disability connection. Um, I, I interview a lot of people who are just engineers and developers and they bump into somebody for the first time who has a disability and then they, and the light bulb comes on for them and all of a sudden they're ready to, to you know, save the world and, and, and make this new technology and, and they have this um, epiphany moment and, and I think they see it as a market opportunity as well. Um, I think compliance has to do with it as well. I think there is legislation out there and incentives that um, help manufacturers try to um, be more accessible, but it's because they're reaching for compliance. You know, IDEA and the ADA and, and some of those laws that have been around for a while tend to um, direct spending by schools and by government organizations. And so I think there's some compliance stuff there that, that drives that. Um, and then I think there's also um, altruistic folks who just say, I, I want to make things more accessible and I'm going to. But I, I think in all those cases, it's probably a combination of those forces. It's a little bit of each that helps that helps drive that. But to, I guess, more directly into the question, I think so. I think we're going to continue to see more and more accessibility. I think there's a snowball effect there. You can't be, you know, a, an iOS developer, for example, and not be aware of the accessibility features built into the operating system. And so the more people see it, the more they're going to remember that when when a need or a, you know a, a, when they're developing a feature when that comes up so it, i think awareness is a big piece of it 
So from your perspective, then where, where do you see the industry going, say in the next 10 years? Like, what do you think, what aspect of assistive technology do you think is really on the cusp of being, you know, just sort of propelling it forward once again? Well, and again, I think there's a, a blending here of assistive technology and mainstream technology. I look at wearables as something that yeah. um, people are paying attention to. Uh, I mean, I'm wearing an Apple Watch right now, and there are like three things that I really do with my Apple Watch, but I'm still not exactly sure why it matters so much to me. <laughs> I'm seeing people wearing Fitbits all the time, you know, right. and I know they're counting steps, and I know it can do more than that. Um, and so I think that we're going to see some things related to, to wearables and, and medical technology. I myself am somebody who wears an insulin pump, um, and so my insulin pump should be able, it doesn't right now, but it should be able to talk to my smartphone and talk to my Apple Watch. And um, in interestingly enough, a week from today, I'm getting an upgrade to my insulin pump, and it'll be the one that can both measure my blood sugar levels and then self-adjust um, to give me the amount of insulin that I need to keep myself sort of at a, at a good level. So nice. I, I look at that technology and I look at my Apple Watch and my smartphone and my Amazon Echo in my home and, and it's becoming more and more blurry about <laughs> what is entertainment and what is medical and what is informational and it's all sort of um, meshing together into this wearable medical information kind of stuff. I guess when my insulin pump starts playing my Spotify playlist, <laughs> I know that we've gotten there, right? <laughs> but it, it is true. And I mean, we, we, uh, we had a, a girl from the UK on a name Molly Watt and she has Usher syndrome. And so she's, she's uh, legally blind and, and, and deaf. Mm -hmm. And she uses a, an app on her Apple phone called resound, which is a, um, it's it's basically a hearing aid and um it completely loves it it's it completely changed her life and it's using the the apple watch which i don't know from a main mainstream perspective it it you know made made a bit of a lukewarm splash i feel in the industry it didn't really set the world on fire but yet as an assistive technology platform it's it can be incredibly powerful and i feel like the google glass uh is is sort of the same way you know we're seeing ira using that as a platform. Um, uh, you know, wh what do you think of, of some of these mainstream devices that get developed that, that, you know, can be sort of retooled for, for uh, really powerful assistive technology devices? I think there's a history of that, you know, as you look at, uh, you look at even the personal computer and what it did originally and, and what it can do now. Um, I think we have to get those platforms out there in the wild long enough for people to um, get past the obvious things that they're supposed to do and start to think about some of those novel approaches. You know, the concept of killer app has always been out there, um, but, but I think we're seeing less and less of those killer apps on some of those new platforms. Um, Google Glass is something that I, I agree. We have it in our, in our assistive technology lab, and we just don't exactly know what to do with it. We have concepts, but we don't see fully grown applications um, that, that really, <laughs> excuse me, we don't see fully grown applications that really allow us to, to sort of put it into play. I, I think is the first one that, that is really going to hit a sweet spot with us. But there's there's a whole lot of, of that going on, and it and it just takes some time. Um, for me, with with the, those kinds of technologies, I usually find that they do a couple of different things very well for me, and then they sort of just hang out there until and, until the new thing the, the new thing comes along. So, 
um, you know, related to our conversation about the importance of social media and larger, faster conversations, I think that will help speed things up as well. Um, and, and I also think there's something to the fact that we haven't even envisioned what the new technology is going to look like, um, you know, 10 and 20 years down the road. I'm not even sure that some of those problems have been defined yet. And the way our world is changing very rapidly right now, uh, we may have some other problems that we need to be thinking about. Um, have you been following the story about Elon Musk and his uh, his new startup um, wanting to build a, a brain interface? No, I haven't been following that one. Tell me about it. Well, it's not off the ground yet, as I understand it. Um, it, it came onto my radar because um, there was a, a report in uh, in a newspaper that, that said that he had uh, a bunch of investors on board, and he rebutted it, basically saying, no, there, there aren't a bunch of investors on board. And it looks like he's essentially looking to self-finance this, uh, this company. But, um, but he is apparently... Uh, made a commitment to uh, starting up this company to do a brain interface and uh, there you know there's been some rudimentary work done on that you know the the state of the art right now I think you you, you still have to have a, uh, a conductive gel between the uh, the sensors in your in your head to make it work um, which obviously renders it impractical for for most disability applications but um, you know with a guy like musk throwing, his money into the ring, um, that could advance really quickly. Well, in his brain too, right? So yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, got exactly. to one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've I've seen some developments of of brain interface technology, but my experience with it so far has been that it really is more EEG reading, and it's very off on one zero switch oriented kind of stuff as opposed to read my mind and take dictation from mm -hmm. my thought process, you know? So I think that that's probably on the very early, we're in the very early stages of that. And then, and then you get into the, the science fiction piece of, do you really want, uh, you know, an interface that goes directly into your brain because there's, there's a whole lot going on there that you might not want to share with the world. <laughs> no, I, I totally want that interface. <laughs> I really do. I, it's going to take some really, really special filtering software to <laughs> allow me to, allow me to use it. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want something that'll, you know, take everything that I've got in Outlook right now and stuff it in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that it might have some sort of a qualitative measure and, and I, or a quantitative measure, and I might be disappointed because I might not show a whole lot going on there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't, I don't know if I want to measure my brain activity. Here, try this brain interface. <laughs> is it on? Is, it, yeah. is this thing working? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that is, I mean, there's so many different fields that, that are still in their infancy that, that are very exciting, you know, but, you know, especially when you combine them, like combine the idea of a brain computer interface with robotics and all of a sudden you have the potential for actual bionic limbs. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of that going on already. Yeah, there is. They're, yeah. They're mostly through nerve interfaces, not, uh, not, right. not brain interfaces per se, but, uh. So it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very exciting time. Who knows what the landscape is going to look like in 10 years? I mean, it, and you know, we didn't even touch on you know, the idea of, um, autonomous cars. We've talked about that a bit on the show before. Um, you know, again, that's something that's, that's a mainstream technology, but it could have, you know, far reaching applications within the disability communities as well. 
Yeah. And, and you know, another another area that I think has some promise and that I'm following and interested in, I, I teach a class at Purdue University that deals with um, universal design for learning for, for students. And, you know, the whole concept is that um, you can create lessons and, and instructional materials that sort of have that curb cut, you know, universal design um, aspect for everybody so that the need for assistive technology is less if you've created instructional materials that are very flexible and can be represented in lots of different ways to students who have different needs, whether that's a sensory need related to, to blindness or, or autism or some of those things that impact sensory issues, or whether it's just more of a, an academic preference for a student. Um, and when I look at those kind of concepts showing up in the educational world, I'm fascinated to see how technology and really the arc of technology is going to plug into that because the more I delve into that and, and teach on that, I'm learning that you can really do a lot of good stuff when you're creating content and in that context, educational content to make it much more accessible and take out some of the, the barriers that we find when we do our bolt on after the fact assistive technology solutions. And so I'm sort of fascinated to see what happens in, in that area of the industry as well. Yeah, I think it will be fascinating because, you know, for year and I'm, I'm sure you've, you've seen this for years and years and years, assistive technology was always a bolt on solution to some sort of mainstream technology. And if that thinking is beginning to shift and they're they're thinking about um, accessibility at the design stage, that could make all the difference. We could really see some you know, pretty amazing changes <clears throat> uh, in the next 10 years. And the fact that we're starting to see that in the K-12 space, I think, is important because I don't care how innovative a workplace you, you're at or what conf what level of conference you're going to, we're still going to have, we still have PowerPoint presentations, you know, and people standing in front of a crowd giving that kind of information. And I think with, um, with younger generations who are going to be more immersed in these more flexible environments and in these environments where multiple means of, of representation um, are, are the norm, I think that that will trickle up into into the workplace. And so um, when my grandchildren are, are running the businesses, I can sit in my rocking chair and look back and say, I remember when. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding? We do that now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, tell us a little bit about the Easter Seals Crossroads and what you guys do there. Yeah, so um, Easter Seals Crossroads is a is a fairly large disability services organization. We're in central Indiana, so we're located in Indianapolis, and we serve central Indiana with most of our services and the entire state of Indiana with our assistive technology services. So we've been around for 81 years now. Um, we were started by a, a group of moms of children who had disabilities back in the late 1920s and, and early 1930s. And the idea was that back in that time in American history, um, kids with disabilities didn't get out of the house a lot. You know, there were a lot of kids who had a, a special bedroom in the house and that's where they stayed. They didn't go to school. Um, and, and there was a whole lot of segregation among children with disabilities. And this uh, very um, groundbreaking group of moms, forward thinking group of moms put together basically what we would call today play dates for, for those children with disabilities. And as those kids grew, they eventually said, well, let's let's put our kids to work. 
work and they found work for those children to do. And, and that whole idea, that germ of uh, the germ of the idea of people with disabilities being integrated into the rest of the world as opposed to, to stuck away at home is where we started. And, and that has grown into the point to where we now serve five to six thousand individuals um, a year in central Indiana in, in the areas of things like physical therapy and occupational therapy. We do employment assistance, helping people either go to work for the first time or providing supports as they go back to work after disability becomes part of their life due to injury or illness or those kind of things. Uh, we do sign language interpreting. We do uh, we have a factory where we employ people with disabilities and people without disabilities, and they're doing packaging and assembly. And it's not a sheltered workshop, by the way. Everybody there um, makes a living wage and gets time off and benefits and those kind of things as well. Um, and then our assistive technology program started in 1979, and we really were focused on um, computer programming training for individuals with disabilities. It was a really cool partnership between IBM, the computer company, um, a local in university, um, and some other big employers like Mayflower, which is a moving company and a bank and those kind of things. And we were working on helping individuals with disabilities become computer programmers. And that grew into helping people with disabilities do all kinds of high-tech jobs. And then it's grown into a situation now where we have a pretty large um, and well-developed assistive technology program here. Um, and we do all kinds of all kinds of great stuff that I can get into um, here in just a little bit. But in general, Easter Seals Crossroads is an Indiana-based nonprofit organization that does all kinds of great stuff for folks with disabilities, and it's a great place to work. I love being here. Now, are there sister organizations in in each of the different states, or are you guys fairly unique? Well, so there are Easter Seals organizations throughout the U.S., also some in Canada and Australia, but mostly a U.S. organization. Um, and it's an affiliate ship relationship. So in the business world, you would consider it sort of like a franchise. Gotcha. Each organization is a locally operated organization with its own board of directors. But we all agree to work under you know certain guidelines in terms of standards of practice and code of ethics and even things like how we fundraise and how we do branding and all that kind of stuff. So we all sort of report back to the Easter Seals corporate headquarters, um, but we're all individual organizations. And that's kind of important to understand because what you see being done by one Easter Seals organization could be pretty different from what you might see in, in another state. So there are a handful who do a lot of assistive technology, but more of them you're going to find are focused on pediatric medical services. And how did the, what made you start up the podcast? Well, so it, it's kind of a funny story, uh, actually. Um, gosh, we started the podcast six years ago, about eight or 10 years ago. It got harder and harder to get funding to go to assistive technology conferences. So for 20 plus years, I've always gone to Closing the Gap and CSUN and right. ATIA and and uh, and the Resna conferences. And that's where you would go to meet colleagues and learn about the new technology and see the new products and, you know, maybe go to a, a party or two and, and bring home a, a bunch of bags of stuff from the booth that you give to your kids or don't use. 
Um, but but it came it became harder and harder to get um, funding to go to those conferences. And so we decided that it made sense to try to take the information that was coming out in um, blogs and newsletters and emails and those kind of things and try to share the that information with people here in Indiana. So the first episode of Assistive Technology Update, which is kind of our flagship show, went out in June of 2011. And it was to be a five-minute podcast where I would read two or three stories about some news item that came uh, across my desk related to the field of assistive technology. Um, and so that first show, and I go back and listen to it every once in a while, was pretty badly done. Um, <laughs> but the idea was to share a few little news items <laughs> with the people in, in Indiana, and then it's just grown from there. How, how big is your listenership now? Well, um, we track all of our shows together. So we do three podcasts each month. We do one called Accessibility Minute, which is about a minute or so long. It's hosted by Laura Medcalf, who is one of our – she writes a lot of our blog and does that show. Um, we do a show called Assistive Technology Frequently Asked Questions, or ATFAQ, and that comes out twice a month. It's a panel of four or five of our staff members or some guests that come on from time to time doing Q&A. So we get questions on our listener line and from various places, um, and we spend some time answering those questions. And then the show that I host each week, Assistive Technology Update, is now grown into a half-an-hour news program um, with interviews. It tracks listeners in about 165 countries each month, and we run around 10 to 15,000 listeners a month between between those three podcasts. Nice. He's, he's tell got us, us he's how. Got us beat tell guy. us how. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the secret may be do it for six years. <laughs> that you know what? It's consistency, 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 and quit looking at your download numbers. Yeah, just, yeah right. it's, it's kind of funny because our our you know when you buy an ad on the radio, right? Ten thousand listeners is not very much bang for your buck. But when you talk about a niche topic like this, having ten thousand people who are interested in what you say on a weekly basis is pretty impressive. And so, you know, it's not unusual to have 500 or 1,000 listeners on a day um, when we have a big topic. And so I, I tell my boss, who wonders why we have a studio in our rehab <laughs> center, I said, would you be happy if every Friday 500 or 1,000 people lined up to hear you talk for an hour or half an hour on a particular topic? How would you feel about that? You, that would be good, right? So that's that's what we're doing is, yeah. is we're touching that many folks on a weekly basis. I like that. I like That's a good way to look at it. It is, yeah. So – uh let's see what else do i got um well so now assistive technology update in specific specifically uh what do you cover in that is that just essentially just industry the the week's worth of industry news um so assistive technology update has kind of grown and changed a little bit most weeks the format is it's a, it's a half an hour show the first half or maybe a little bit less of the show are news stories. So it's, yeah, a new version of JAWS came out or there's a research project related to, you know, a, a kid building a Braille embosser out of Legos or, or, or things like that. In, in the middle part of the show, we have um, one of our partner organizations 
talk about an app. So we have partners at Bridging Apps out of Houston, and we also have the folks from AppleViz come on occasionally and talk about some new app in the field of assistive technology. And then the last half of the show tends to be an interview with people who are sort of carving out the edge of assistive technology. So, for example, just before we jumped on to record this today, I finished up an interview with a really cool guy from Louisville, Kentucky, named Sam DePlessy, who he and his 14-year-old son have created a talking laundry module that yes. plugs into GE appliances. Yeah, yeah. We- and so... So we, we spent some time with Sam talking about that, and that'll release here in, in a few weeks. Um, before that, we interviewed um, a gentleman at the University of Toronto in the Institute for Aerospace Studies. He's developed a workable prototype of a self-driving wheelchair, and he's got video of this wheelchair driving around an office building, not running into people, not driving down the top of the stairs or getting stuck. Um, and we talked about what that might mean for people who have a hard time controlling their wheelchair with a joystick or something like that. Um, Recently, we've interviewed some folks over at understood.org, which is a fairly new web resource for students who have learning and attention issues. Um, And we talked to them about the genesis of that project and and how they um, sort of made that happen. Um, And a a really fun interview we did recently um, was with Beth Zebarth, who is the director of accessibility for the Smithsonian Institution. And we talked about what's the Smithsonian doing at their various locations and how does the Smithsonian help other museums and similar organizations on their accessibility. So it really I really enjoy doing the interviews. They're a lot of fun to get to talk to some of the smartest people in the world about assistive technology. But I find in doing that, we sort of paint the picture of what's what's coming, you know, down down the pike. And you know that brings up an an interesting side topic. What's your impression in in terms of there there seems to be a lot more homegrown solutions coming out, like a lot more independent people who see an issue and and solve that issue through just hobbling together uh, solutions and then you know taking that prototype and developing it into an actual <clears throat> product. Um, we've talked to a few people that that have been like that, like the Buzz Clip and the Smile Mouse. Yep. Um, yeah. it, do you find that happening more and more? You know, I really do. And it's sort of funny. Early in my career, um, I would have, I don't know, at least once a month, somebody come to me who, who just knew that I work for Easter Seals and we do good stuff with folks with disabilities. And they would say, I got this idea. I made this thing in my garage and it's because my niece who has whatever disability needed to solve this problem and I solved it for and now I'm ready to be a rich inventor. How do I do that? And in the past, I would either connect them to one of the local university engineering programs who would maybe or maybe not take it on as a grad product and project and maybe or maybe not pop it into their business incubator and sort of help that inventor fully develop and fully create um, a, a product that could be marketable. Um, I don't get those calls anymore. Not, yeah. not very often anyway. What I find is people on Kickstarter. Right. And I find people using the power of the Internet and social media to say, "Ooh, here's my idea and and here's how I'm going to save the world or change the world. And then through that iterative iterative process of putting it out there and getting feedback and some of those more publicly available funnels that kind of get them to thinking about the things they need to be thinking about in terms of manufacturing and, and liability and all that kind of stuff, I think there are many, many more outlets for that stuff anymore. So um, I used to be frustrated with all these people who who said, hey, I invented something that, 
and they were describing something that was already on the market that they didn't <laughs> know about was already out there. Yep. And and now they can pretty quickly find out, oh yeah, there are five of those out there and and you know, they're I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna become a rich inventor on account of this. Or they just go ahead and, and launch it on their own. That's again, that's another really exciting aspect of, for the industry is that there's there's just so many more paths to innovation. So yeah, over the years I've had people bring stuff to me, but mo- mostly for me it's been some guy with a uh, interestingly shaped piece of wood going, "Look, this is this is ideal for." <laughs> okay, dude, it's an interestingly shaped piece of wood. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes it's two interestingly shaped pieces of wood with some some copper, you know, taped to it and, and moving them together. So yeah, that's yeah. Right. I, I think we know the same people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, tell us, uh, anybody who's, who's interested in Easter Seals Crossroad or the podcast, where can they find you guys? You know, if people are wanting to learn more about who we are and what we do over here, I encourage you to check us out, especially look at our team and, and the, the amazing group of people that we have over here. Probably the best and most direct place to get that is to go to our website, which is EasterSealsTech.com. So EasterSealsTech, T-E-C-H, dot com. And from there, you can get to the overall Easter Seals Crossroads organization. You can get to all of our assistive technology resources, our YouTube videos, our blog posts, our podcasts, and all that kind of stuff is out there. And, and then for the podcast in general, those are on the platforms where you generally get your podcast, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your whatever your poison is in terms of um, getting your podcast. We're on all those platforms. But EasterSealsTech.com is really the best hub to get to all that. And we will be sure to uh, include that link in the show notes. Thank you. Wade, thanks so much for taking some time out and talking with us today. It was It was awesome to talk to you finally. Guys, thank you so much for having me on the show. And thank you for what you're doing and and how you're educating your audience. Because, you know, there's so much information out there and it moves so quickly that um, you can just never get enough good information out there. So I appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Wade. uh, Thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. care. Wow, ten thousand listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan wants. <laughs> yeah. Ryan's gonna get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Six years. I mean, six years is a long time. That is. I mean, yeah, that's that's persistence, and he's never missed a show. That's crazy. It sounds like a great show, and I mean, it, 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 although I'm a little surprised at how the Easter Seals organization works, I didn't realize it was kind of franchised out like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I know the I know they're in town here. I've, I've, they've got a building on uh, down by the McDonald's on um, Still Creek, so, but uh, I don't know what they actually do there now. But man, it's interesting to get a, the, a take on on the field from somebody who's almost well. No, he's he's been in it longer than you, hasn't he, Steve? No, I got three years on him. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Sorry, Wade. <laughs> Steve, gotcha. <laughs> Amateur. <laughs> uh, it sounds like he's he's really got a bigger breadth of experience, though, because he's he's doing a lot of stuff on the the physical side mm-hmm. as well, which you know I've I've done some of, but not not as much. You know, like I didn't I've I've never really spent a lot of time with environmental controls, for example. You know, I, I think I can count on one hand the number of times I've I've been asked to do ECU stuff. So, but I also feel that a lot of like, and that's interesting that he sort of pointed to that as something that he's excited about. Um, cause I hadn't really given it too much thought, but it is true. Like those environmental controls that were around 15 years ago, uh, 
they were they were almost cost prohibitive. Those were really expensive, right? Yeah, yeah, they were. Um, you know, if you needed them, you know, people would would find ways to to get them. But um, but yeah, they if you wanted to do up a house, it was pricey. Yeah, and but and he's absolutely right. Now you buy a, a Google Home for two hundred bucks, and some apps and a few you know a few of the. Um, Different modules. Different modules, and away you go. You can probably do it for, you know, 500 bucks. Well, yep. it's getting even freakier. I was listening to This Week in Google last night, and Jeff Bezos, the you know CEO of Amazon, and Microsoft have done a deal where you're going to have a Cortana skill in your Amazon Echo. And so Apple and Google are also looking at doing similar things. You'll be able to talk to your Amazon and say, hey, Echo, um launch Cortana. Then you can use the strengths of Cortana to say, Cortana, access my Outlook calendar or create a new appointment. So you're going to have multiple AIs built into your assistants that you can pull from. Wow. It's going to get crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I feel like five years, we we're, just, we're going to be living in Star Trek. Totally now. different world. Yeah. I, I don't want to have an interface that has multiple personality disorder. I, I want to have a single, <laughs> single... Uh, and we'll get there, but right now each have their own strengths. What I'm for. Right. The word I'm looking for is uh, hot, uh, hot avatar. Hot. I want an avatar. I want an avatar <laughs> that, that I can interface with. You know, maybe holographic. Yep. Yeah, yeah I'm with coming. you. Sexy English accent. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Rob. <laughs> oh, we're getting off topic. Yes. <laughs> See, this is why this is why those built-in brain computer interfaces wouldn't work well for us. <laughs> We'd clog those filters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, sitting there trying to dictate a letter, and all of a sudden, porn pops up on your screen. So, oh, okay, sure. I was thinking about porn. Yes. Yeah, so, right. That's right. That that <laughs> those, that whole technology is going to prove to be a real problem for men, and women <laughs> will be able to use it no problem. But men are going to have because what it, what what's the old adage like? Men think about sex every something like thirteen seconds. Yeah, I don't remember. Don't know. Yeah, ask me in 13 seconds. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, no yeah you guys can go now. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> Sausage. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyways, hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? Online at www.atbanter.com. People can also email us if they so desire, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on them fancy social media platforms like the Facebooks and the Twitties and uh, uh, Instagrams and uh, YouTubies. That kind of stuff. Yes, indeed. And uh, I don't know, anything else you guys got before we cap it off? Got nothing. Ryan, you're going on vacation. I am. Where are you going? Interior of BC. Oh, really? Yeah. Whereabouts? Kelowna. Oh, nice. Help lend his uncle out. Don't oh, throw, yeah. Don't throw any smokes out the window. Yeah, yeah no, really. $575 fine, which no. I think is too low. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I just take the car. Yep. Thanks. Well, uh, have a good trip. Thank you. It's going to be hot. Yeah, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to heat up again next week, I mm-hmm. think, right? I think so. I think starting tomorrow. Uh, but like I said to Linda, once it changes, then it's changed. You know, we're going to be into fall and yep. we don't really have a distinct seasons. It just changes. <laughs> yep. Then, then we won't see the sun again until February. February. Yeah. Yeah.
Now, the real important part of the season that has now started as of today, I have learned, is that the pumpkin spice <laughs> <laughs> latte is now available at Starbucks. So life is good again. So Br- crazy. I was, in, I was in Costco yesterday. They're selling Christmas trees. I know. Nice. It's way too soon. Like, let's get past Halloween first. Yeah, just bring on the pumpkin spice it for me. That's crazy. all I care about. <laughs> pumpkin spice Oreo cookies, baby. Oh, they're so good. They're okay. I, the recent ones I bought were cinnamon bun flavor. Uh-huh. They were actually pretty good. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, but the pumpkin spice ones are good. I'm hoping that this year the mini wheats will, will do the pumpkin spice flavor again. Probably. Fingers crossed. We need the amount of flavors that the U.S. has. Yeah. Like Oreo has, what was it, like 120 different flavors or something what? in the U.S. Do they really? Yeah. Insanity. Like we've got the birthday cake, the cinnamon bun, the pumpkin spice, the pop rock. Wait, we have uh, pop rock? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it at Costco or at Safeway. Whoa. It's Pop Rocks and the Oreo cream. Oh, <laughs> damn. I'm going to Safeway on the way home. <laughs> I did not realize that. Yeah, I forget where we saw it, but yeah. It might have been Superstore. but Yeah, yeah. they really they, they don't like to share their um, no. snack food technology with other countries sometimes, That's I right. get the sense. Yeah. Like, please give us the Pizza Hut pizza Doritos. Bring, it, bring us sure. your spray cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll just have to do a trip to the US. Aerosol aerosol cheese cans are the best. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> now that's it's cheese whiz in a spray. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 You just take your celery, you go <laughs> cross the thing and start munching. Yeah. So, yeah. Brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. Give that man a medal. Yep. All right. All right, that's gonna about do it for us. Ryan's gonna get out of here. Yep. He's gotta go start his vacation. Uh, thanks everybody for listening in and, uh, I've been Rob Minot. I'm Ryan. I'm Steve. And we will see you all next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.